guys ready for this? Excited. You excited? I'm going to answer all of your Sabbath questions in 60 minutes. No. Before we begin the lesson, I wanted to uh, recommend a book that I read over the weekend by Kevin DeYoung called Impossible Christianity. Uh, here's the long subtitle. It's very Puritan-esque. Why following Jesus does not mean you have to change the world, be an expert in everything, accept spiritual failure, and feel miserable pretty much all the time. So, just finished it uh, last night, and it's a book length, and you can see how short the book is, it's like 130 pages, but it's a book length uh, expansion of one of its chapters in The Whole and Our Holiness, which, by the way, is my favorite of Kevin DeYoung's books. And essentially, his main thesis is you don't have to feel bad just because you're not a perfect follower of Christ. There is a difference between true obedience and perfect obedience. And you actually can please your Father in Heaven with the good works that God has given you to do. Sometimes we have this idea that because not one of my works is perfect, I can never measure up. And God is always displeased with us. And that's not the case. Our Father is our Father. And he loves us. And He has given us good works to perform. These are not the basis for our justification. They are uh, gifts from God. And they are helps for our assurance. Not the ground of assurance, obviously. Christ and His finished work is the ground of our assurance. But the Confession of Faith and the Harvard Catechism, Sins of Dort, uh, they all tell us that there are other things that we can look to, signposts. So he does a good job in the book, I think, encouraging the struggling follower of Christ. Uh, you don't have to wake up thinking, man, I'm going to lose it today. I'm going to be the worst follower of Jesus. And even if you do wake up that way, there's always grace and mercy. Um, but you can go out and and be busy about um, obedience. You can obey the Lord truly. And he also um, dispels this idea that essentially if you're not evangelizing every single individual, if you don't have hours of quiet time, then you are you know, not a, a good saint. You know, you're not a, a good follower of the Lord. Um, so it, he, he does strike a good balance of striving after holiness without which no one will see the Lord but then also finding our justification, satisfaction in Christ and Christ alone. So, good book. I commend it to you. You see on the handout, we're looking at the Fourth Commandment today. You see several resources. I had more that I wanted to include, but I also didn't want to go beyond the page length for you. Um, there's a whole book. It's like 600 pages, small font, by Nicholas Bound on the true doctrine of the Sabbath. And I am not under the impression, and I want you to get the impression that this single lesson is going to address every single question. This is, you could say, a primer on the Fourth Commandment, just like the previous lessons have been primers on the previous commandments. Uh, can't say everything in one lesson, but there are resources that can help you continue studying this subject. Uh, and there's even a whole Ligonier series that I commend to you in the resource section. Uh, but... Enough of that ado, let us pray.
pray and begin blessing. Our gracious God, we come before you humbly. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given it to us, that we might delight in it and, and so delight in you. We acknowledge, Lord, that this is uh, a picture of who you are. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for your law. We thank you that you have given it to us as a rule of life for us. It is our desire to follow you in all of our ways, to acknowledge you, to lean upon you, and not our own understanding. And so when we come to this commandment, we uh, acknowledge that we need your wisdom and not our, uh, our own thoughts about how to live in accordance with the fourth commandment. Pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So, uh, last commandment I taught on was the second commandment. Pretty controversial command. They're all controversial in one sense, right? Uh, but we talked about how many people in our own denomination take exception to part of the second commandment. Uh, we come to the fourth commandment, which is similar in that if there's going to be a commandment, if there's going to be something that Candidates for the gospel ministry will take an exception to. It's going to be at least part of the fourth commandment, especially when it comes to this section on uh, recreation. There's, I'm not going to read to you the chapter on the Sabbath in the Confession of Faith. There's, I've given that to you in the resource section. There are questions and answers in the larger catechism. There's much there for your study. But this is a difficult one. But it is the Word of God, and uh, I want you to know also that I'm not under the impression, I don't want you to be under the impression that the Mock family has perfectly fulfilled this commandment, okay? Not one of us perfectly fulfills this commandment. That's, we're not, uh, not going to give you the Mock's way of life and say, this is the standard. That would be, uh, un, be unjust. I'm wise. But Gordon Ketty, in his book on the Ten Words, says, None of the Ten Commandments have been more explained away and neglected by the church than the fourth. None of the Ten Commandments have been more explained away and neglected by the church than the fourth. So here's a command that if our hearts are not checked, we can misuse. We can misuse by falling into the ditch of legalism. And so legalism, uh, so obedience is not legalism, I've mentioned that many times. To obey the law is not legalism. It's what God expects us. But legalism is obeying the law with the motive of going to heaven because of that obedience. Legalism is saying, I can earn my way, I can be saved, I can be justified by works of the law. To which Paul says, May never be, you know, God forbid. We also don't want to misuse this law, like any other commandment, by going to the other ditch, the other side of the road, is antinomianism, by saying that there is no place for this. Antinomianism against lawism, and say, well, this doesn't, doesn't matter, uh, God doesn't really care, uh, it's, or God cared. And Jesus is the true Sabbath, so he fulfilled it, and therefore you don't have to have any kind of guardrails, any kind of um, parameters for obedience when it comes to this fourth commandment. Or we can misuse it by 
falling on um, that principle of Christian liberty. There's a whole chapter on Christian liberty in the Confession of Faith. You can read about it. But Christian liberty, we could say, uh, at least one part of Christian liberty is us not insisting on our own way when it comes to certain practices. And we shouldn't insist on our own way. To assert what the Bible asserts is not to assert our own way. It's to say, this is what God expects of you and of me. But sometimes, uh, by citing Christian, Christian liberty, we think that um, it's how we obey this commandment exclusively is up to each individual. And that they're really, it's really a subjective approach. How you want to, how you want to um, celebrate Lord's Day is up to you, and you shouldn't tell me uh, that I need to do something else on Lord's Day. Okay. This lesson is not going to provide you a list of all the do's and don'ts of Sabbath keeping. In fact, there's there isn't a list of do's and don'ts in the Old Testament or New Testament. There are things that we ought to do. And there are things that we should refrain from doing. But we don't have an exhaustive list. And that's okay. So many, so many pastors, I think every pastor is just, if he cares about the fourth commandment, and he cares about you know, preaching it and teaching it, oftentimes the command, or the, the follow-up is, well, then what can't I do? Well, that's actually, uh, that kind of approach is, is more uh, satanic <laughs> than, than Christian. What you have the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? And um, you have the tree of life and in the garden of Eden. You have Satan essentially saying, God is just holding out on you. Okay. And we have that same mentality sometimes when it comes to the law. And we think that if we just refrain from certain things and do certain things, then we'll be well pleasing in God's sight. We want to avoid that. So, again, there's a lot here, but let's look at Exodus 20, verses 8 through 11. This is under the section in your notes, Two Grounds for Sabbath Observance. Exodus 20, 8 through 11 says, Remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who was within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So, question for you all. What, based on this text, what is the ground for Sabbath observance? What is the reason that God gives for obeying this fourth Creation. Yes. Okay. Creation. So then what does this ground tell us about the duration of the command? If it tells us anything about that. About the perpetuity of the command. Yeah. Well, since it's a creation ordinance, it's for everyone. It's for everyone and all creation. For all, yeah, all creation, all time. So, the ground given in Exodus 20 is the ground of creation. And then let's look at Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through 15. 
Remember, uh, Moses is, Deuteronomy is second law. It's the second giving of the law. They've wandered, they're about to enter the promised land, and Moses comes to them again and lays it out for them. And says, here's what the Lord is going to expect of you when you go in to possess the land. Don't be like that wandering generation that has, uh, that God waited to expire before giving it to you, before giving the land to you. So Deuteronomy 5, 12 through 15, observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any other livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Okay. So a lot of similarities between Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, but the ground, the reason, differs in Deuteronomy from how it does in, in Exodus 20. What's the ground of obeying the Sabbath day given in Deuteronomy 5? Because the Lord has saved them. Because the Lord has saved them. Okay. Redemption. Can God have two different grounds for obeying the same command? Yes. So we have creation and redemption as two grounds for obeying the fourth commandment. For following the fourth commandment. What does this ground tell us then about the, the focus of our Sabbath keeping? This second ground. Gratitude. Gratitude. Okay. So the day ought to be spent with Thanksgiving. For the redemption that we have in Christ. Amen. What else? Well, the redemption story that leaving Egypt, which they were continuously, and he called them out so that they'd be worshipped. Okay. Um, that was the point of him calling them out. Yeah. Um, so it's the day of obviously the day of worship. Okay. Yes, worship. So I have five gifts. I mentioned five gifts here. Four of them are from Daniel Howe's book. It's actually the subtitle uh, on the Lord's Day. It's uh, Christian Sabbath, Worship, Feasting, Rest, Mercy. And read that a couple weeks ago. Loved it. If, that, if there were one book that you want, you want to read to start uh, on the Sabbath, uh, knowing about it, then it would be that resource, which is uh, resource O in your uh, handout there. So, in all of these gifts from God, we are regularly called to deny ourselves and to delight in God. Sabbath day, just like all commands, the fourth commandment is saying, you're not it. <laughs> you're not all bad in a bag of chips, as the kids used to say. So deny yourself and delight in God. You don't worship yourself. Too often we do worship ourselves. So the fourth day, the, the, the fourth commandment, the Lord's Day, is a reminder that we are to worship God alone. So God has given us a whole day on which to worship Him. 
You can read Psalm 92 and see that it is a song for the Sabbath, and you'll see in that psalm uh, what we are to do. That is to worship God, we are to recount his wonderful deeds, and we even see that through that day, by means of that day, we bear fruit. Towards the end of that psalm, there's a mention of growing in sanctification. Okay. Somebody read for us Luke 4.16. Luke 4.16. Elisha's got it. What is the antecedent of he? Christ. Christ. Okay, so so Christ is doing what? Confession of faith gives the answer, but 
Does anyone know well, why we would worship on Sunday? Well, not Saturday? Based on what you've already said, one of the reasons for Sabbath worship is because of the redemption. Mm -hmm. Well, redemption was fulfilled on a Sunday through Jesus' resurrection. So to tie Sabbath worship to that very act of redemption is fitting. Right. So <clears throat> the resurrection was so watershed a moment. Uh, and the Old Testament Israelites were looking forward to that day. Okay, they, they were anticipating that day of redemption. Christ has uh, redeemed us, and we see that through the uh, life, death, and resurrection of Christ. Now we look back to it, but then we actually start our day with that. Um, we're not waiting for our own rest. We have it. So we begin the week delighting in God. And that certainly does change our focus, at least it ought to, as we go about the yeah, it's tied all together with creation, too. Remember, Adam was created on the sixth day. Mm -hmm. His first day was also a day of rest. Um, so our first day is a day of rest, but even to tie more, now it's a new creation. So it's definitely, if you will, uh, it's a new creation ordinance, and it's a redemption ordinance all tied in one. So it's really special that it's on Sunday. Mm -hmm. And if, if you study the topic of the Sabbath, you'll realize that there are some ceremonial aspects to the Sabbath. Uh, this would be one of them that, uh, that it, was, um, it was kept on Saturday. And the Lord does um, do away with, because he fulfills all the ceremonial aspects. So if the ceremonial aspect is, is now gone, that doesn't mean that the essence of the command fades away. Okay? It was just on a different day. Again, a watershed moment. So unless we are providentially hindered, the people of God make every effort to attend worship. Unless we are providentially hindered. Joseph, would you mind, I'm just putting you on the spot here. Do you remember what we talked about? I remember the illustration you gave moons ago about, I think it was your father, um, and Sabbath keeping even despite snow or something like that? Oh, well, my grandfather. Your grandfather, yeah. yes. Um, so my grandfather was a preacher, and he was preaching at his first place up in Vermont, where it snows a lot. And one Sunday, there was a couple who didn't come to church because it snowed a lot, but then it was reported to him that later in the afternoon, they were singing about town. So the next Sunday, when the next Sunday it snowed a lot, he got up real early, went over to their house and started shoving in their driveway. And the uh, husband came out and was like, hey, preacher, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm shoving in the driveway so we can make it to church this morning. <laughs> and they were there that morning. <laughs> and he said a preacher has to do what he can to make sure the congregation comes to church. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. So, um, we don't want to... When we talk about providential hindrances, and, and I'll read a, a quote for you in just a moment, um, but we don't want to come across or make anyone feel guilty for not attending worship. It's a joy, okay? It's not, you must be here. It's, you get to be here. This is a highlight of the week. But there are legitimate reasons why some people cannot attend worship. We, there was... Was COVID, right? You can remember that. And where, wherever you stand on that matter, um, 
there was a time, at least, of just unknown, just uncertainty. And so you know, many churches, most churches, refrained, or at least where they changed things up a little bit when it came to worship. And when others didn't feel like they could come just yet, the elders weren't like, what are you doing? Get over here, okay? Uh, people are hospitalized. People are, there are shut-ins, okay? There are people who uh, have, to, have to travel sometimes and, and makes it impossible for them to attend on a certain Lord's Day. So there are legitimate providential hindrances. We will do well, however, not to force providential hindrances upon ourselves, Okay, so here would be um, one instance. Gas. You need gas in your vehicle in order to go from point A to point B. And not everyone lives across the street from a church. So you might. Some people could just walk to church. Very few can do that. I think Bill and Rosie Jones are like the only ones that can just walk to church without any kind of hindrance. We all need gas in our vehicles. So we would do well to have made sure our gas tanks are full enough of gas to get to church, rather than uh, say, well, I'll just, I'll just get on the way to church on Sunday. Okay, That's one way to um, avoid a providential hindrance, or sometimes homework. Homework. You guys have homework to do. A lot of, a lot of students have homework to do. And even a lot of employees have work to do. What did you say? I said and some adults. And some adults, yeah. And some, and some people have to take their work home. The Lord has given us six days. The Sabbath day, uh, God has given us one day of seven where we're supposed to rest from our normal work. That means we are to use those other six days very well, to manage our time very well, so that we can set ourselves up to, uh, to worship, to rest, and not um, hurt ourselves, not shoot ourselves in the foot here. Same thing with your normal chores. Okay. Thomas Watson says, the Sabbath is the market day of the soul. That's the kind of purchases, but that's the kind of purchasing you can do. The market day of the soul. What does, it, what does that mean? For the Sabbath to be the market day for the soul. What do you do when you go to the market? You get stuff. You get stuff. <laughs> okay. We, we, we love to go to Costco, right? <laughs> we love to go to the market and just stock up. There's this bread, there are these drinks, this new shirt, and just stock up all the good stuff from uh, the market. And the Sabbath day is primarily a day of giving, okay? We give worship. We give worship because it's also a day of giving from God. He has given us his son. So we want to stock up on the means of grace that we are given on Lord's Day. And I talked about this last week, about the difference between you know, private worship and public worship. We want to do both. We should have individual, quiet time, if you will. We should have family time, okay? And church family time. We should have all of those. We should be, we should be availing ourselves of the means of grace. And so Thomas Watson saying, 
this Sabbath day is the best day of the days of the week. It's the market day of the soul, so stock up. How do you all spend your time in private, family, corporate worship on the Lord's Day? And we all know that just because you say how you spend it doesn't mean that you are imposing that as the standard for all of us to follow. And we're not going to judge you or you are tempted to judge someone. Don't. <laughs> well, something I've tried to do is I keep a running track of what I'm thankful for with the person in the day. And I try to look through it every day, but on Sunday I especially try to spend time thanking God for certain things there, like the previous week that He's blessed me with. So you spend part of the time of the Lord's Day in intentional thankfulness to the Lord for what He's done, did do, will do. Okay. We have corporate worship and every other week, first, third, and fifth Sundays, we have evening worship. Our church also, though, on those non-evening worship days, we there are covenant groups. Not everyone's in a covenant group, but those are good ways also to spend uh, the time uh, well with your with your church family, studying scripture, praying. Some groups might be singing. Uh, what was that? Eating, yes, that'll get me to the next point in just a moment. Yes. And it, I mean, it's different. When we're here, we, we spend our, our Sunday different than when we do around. So here, I guess we didn't have like a, a second worship type service mm-hmm. or anything. So what we do is we do covenant group and then we kind of like go back home and then we just greet as a family yeah. and stuff like that. Now we do you know, morning worship, Sunday school, whatever. We go home, rest of it. Time of uh, you know, more time in prayer. You could do that. So 
God has given us a day. He says, I want you to use it. And you're not going to be able to do everything you want to do on any given Lord's Day. There's so much to be done. So much good stuff to do. So much good stuff to reflect on, to thank God for, to delight in, that you need another Lord's Day. And the Lord provides that. Just, you know, seven days of rent. You know? Yeah, that's, that's so good. Like, yeah, oftentimes you just feel guilty about not being able to do stuff. Like, uh, I guess I have to do all this work, or I need to get to study like I wanted to. And that's good. They, you just say, you know what? The Lord said come. So I can, I can, I can, I can do my job. I can do all these things. Of course, I'll still read. I need to eat to live. Right. So I still need to do that. But on the Lord's day, that's when I can just fully immerse in that thing I wanted to get to. Right. I can read that book that I really wanted to read. I can. So you know, yeah. It's instead of the six days shaping the seventh, like as an afterthought. Um, the seventh day shapes your six days. Like, right. I'm going to do all that so I can actually focus on the seventh. Right? So. Or eight. Or eight. Yep. Yeah. The eighth day themes. <laughs> it's very scriptural. And it's just a reminder that this is it's called the Lord's Day, not the Lord's 90 minutes. <laughs> okay? We are to think about how we can spend the whole day. So there's worship, there's also feasting. We feast in corporate worship, we feast with songs that we sing, we feast with scripture that we hear, scripture that we read, we feast with sermons, we feast with the Lord's Supper, specifically. We, we literally commune with God, truly by faith, partake of his body and blood. Not of the actual body and blood, though, of course, but by faith. Okay, Talk about the Roman Catholic Mass versus communion, actually, in uh, worship later on today. Uh, and Howe says in his book, Westminster could have used some Italians. So he talks about uh, how uh, the confession of faith could be improved in that there is a lot of emphasis on the joyful feasting that's part of the Sabbath. And I think he's right. It's a, it's a legitimate criticism. Uh, it's not that confession of faith uh, does anything wrong. I don't think they say anything wrong, but he's saying, hey, we could, we could add another paragraph to the confession of faith if we wanted to. And we want to add this. You know, Italians, they, they know how to cook, they know how to eat, okay? And a lot of other groups do, but especially the Italians, and that's why he was saying that. And um, there's a fine line trying to balance out, like spending all of your time preparing for a feast, and then also just having uh, good food. The, the Lord's Day is that day when you have, you could say, more special gatherings, uh, more special foods, even. Now, some, some will call themselves strict Sabbatarians, and by that they mean they're not having anyone prepare any food. And so uh, if they have you over, they'll just say, well, we got cereal, and we can microwave this, because they don't want to do any kind of work. And preparing food is work. And all uh, food preparers say amen. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work. But uh, if this day is a day of celebration, of reflection, of delight, of joy, the Lord, throughout his word, has connected covenant and meal. Just so often, whenever you see people 
contract a covenant. There, there are words, and there's a meal. And we have the new covenant, which is in uh, Christ's blood. And we have that meal. We are then also to imitate that by feasting together. And sometimes, uh, the early church had the agape meal, the love meal, of which the communion meal was just a part. I'm not saying that we should go back to that, but in Corinth, people got a little crazy with that. So people were getting drunk, they were eating and drinking, and others hadn't arrived on time, and, or they arrived later, and they were going to be excluded because of the, well, I, to some degree, the debauchery that was going on, you know, drunkenness and, and a division, really, uh, because, uh, yeah, eating. So, I'm not saying we should go back to that, but we have something like that with our fellowship meals. We have something like that with our covenant group. We have some covenant groups, they do a, a pot providence, right? So, <laughs> bring. Um, <laughs> hey, Psalm 1633, okay? No such thing as love. So, you have these great meals that people bring so we can enjoy one another you know, in community and, and just enjoy good food because this is God's creation. So, we feast. And I think it's wise to have proper preparation to facilitate that feasting. That means then knowing what you're going to make, knowing what you're going to provide, making preparation that you can make, if that means using a crock pot uh, you know, and get things mostly ready to go before you know, or just in time for the, the gathering, then, then wonderful. Because you don't want to spend the whole day busy preparing. There's also resting. So Exodus 20, verse 10 says, On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. So Joel Beakey in his Systematic Theology says, The rest that God commands is not a cessation of all activity, but an interruption of ordinary labor, the work of one's daily vocation. If we, if we equated work with activity, then I, get, I just shouldn't get out of my bed, yeah. right? I, can't, I shouldn't take a shower. I, I shouldn't put on makeup. Uh, I shouldn't get the kids ready. That's, what, go ahead. I'm saying, well, who did that? Like, so you see it with Christ is Christ feuding with the Pharisees mm -hmm. all the time for did he desecrating the Sabbath? Um, they called him for not keeping it, but no, no, I keep it. Right. You desecrate it. You make it like um, a heavy yoke. Uh, and and I, I and I and I call it what it is. It's it's made for men, right? Um, and it's made as something that benefits men, mm -hmm. not something that burdens you. Right. The rest is one of worshipful reflection and rejoicing over Christ's redemption. It's similar to what God does on the seventh day. He rests. It's not because his omnipotence was depleted and he needs to recharge. Okay? The rest is one of reflection. It's enjoyment. It's behold 
what I have made. And for Lord's Day, it's behold what God has made. He has made new creatures in Christ. Look what he has done. Rejoice in that. This also means you can take a physical nap. Okay. If your nap is like five hours, then you might be um, not using the day well, okay, because there are other things to do on the Lord's Day. But uh, yes, take a nap if you want to take a nap. You don't have to, but you can. <laughs> and the rest is for us and for our own family. It is also for our neighbors. Notice that command it says, uh, it's your servants, your, your children, your son, daughter, your servants, your livestock, your sojourner who is within your gates. Those who uh, are finding temporary lodging in your area, your neighbors, it's for them too. That has immediate relevance to us, especially when it comes to what we put people in a position to do. That is to say, we say, well, we're not going to work on Lord's Day. But we're going to go to, you know, Cheddar's. And we're going to have someone else work for us. And we're going to, at the same time, uh, pray a blessing of the hands that prepared this for us that we're not working for, but they are. And of course, I know it's a follow-up. Well, they chose to be there. Nobody forced them. Well, in one sense, we did by supplying that demand, right? By saying, this is a high traffic time, okay? I know that's entering some uh, controversial waters. There is... That's all right, Pastor Tom. I know, I'm okay with it. Um, there's, an art, there's an article. It's in the resources there. Uh, some might say that's con condemnation. Others might say that's conviction. Okay, it's dying on the Lord's Day. It's just one article uh, if you want that'll certainly provoke you to, to thoughts. Um, so we're going to we're talk we're going to talk about works of necessity and mercy in just a minute because um, it's not that you can't at all ever make any purchases or you can't eat food that's not it from your home. At all, okay. There are um, there are ways, there are times when we have to, but as part of the normal Lord's Day rhythm, the Lord, uh, I don't, I don't think the Lord is, is saying, yeah, that's part of your Christian liberty. Go ahead, allow them, put them in a position to to work for you. Okay. So why don't we rest? How offers some reasons. He says he got he offers five reasons. Uh, we don't rest because. We are rich, and as rich, we don't appreciate the Sabbath like the poor do. It says that we can choose our own times off, we can choose our own vacations, we can choose our own sabbaticals, um, and so we can find physical rest in other times. Uh, it says that we don't rest because we feel compelled to keep working. We like working. I love working. And I have to fight overwork. I just, I just love the job that I do. I love the calling. And I learned from my dad just to be a hard worker. So I feel that. There's so much to do. And God wants you to like working. Hard work is not part of the curse. The thorns and thistles are part of the curse. 
Okay? The Adam and Eve were to work the ground and to keep it. So work in itself is not a problem. So sometimes we don't rest because we want to keep working. We like what we do. Or we have other things that we need to do. Or another reason, another reason we don't rest is we think that we need more money. And in some cases, we do need more money. And having that extra day of work will make ends meet. And that would then likely be a work of necessity. Hopefully a temporary work of necessity that you can one day get yourself out of so that you can uh, have the regular Lord's Day um, rhythms. Another reason we don't rest is we haven't planned our time well. Again, we want to be uh, good managers of the six days God has given us to do the, that ordinary work. Another reason he gives is we don't rest because we feel more at home in our workplace than at home or at church. Sometimes we don't... It's awkward to be around certain people. you know. Or, you know, I don't want to sing. Some, some of us might say. I don't sing on the other days of the week. and I don't want people sing, seeing me singing. Okay? And you have to get out of your comfort zone. I am an introvert, okay? But my, my calling does not require introversion. <laughs> uh, it's, so it's, it's, it's sometimes difficult. You know, just get, get out of the comfort zone. Because some of us probably just prefer to sit on an armchair and read a book or listen to a podcast. Calvin preferred that. <laughs> So there are works of necessity. Matthew 12, and this would be like a, you often hear like the, the, the ox in the ditch, right? Your ox is, is in the ditch. You don't say, well, just wait 24 hours, oh ox, and we'll get you out. There are things that need to be done, and we do them, even though they're on the Lord's Day. You suck. The, the, the Israelites would circumcise a child on the eighth day, even if that eighth day was the Sabbath day. It's okay to do that. So Matthew 12, uh, I'll read 9 through 14 here. He, that would be Jesus, he went on from there and entered their synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? So that they might accuse him. They're trying to Accuse him, because they think it's not lawful to heal on the Sabbath. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. They hated that he healed on the Lord's day. On the Sabbath. But God graciously allows works of necessity on his day. Johannes Voss, in his commentary on the Lord of Catechism, says, a work, Works of necessity, strictly speaking, are works which cannot be avoided or cannot be postponed until another day. You have to do them. So, some examples of works of necessity. Extinguishing a fire. You don't say, flames, we just be localized here don't cause too much damage. I have to wait until sunrise for the next day, and then I can extinguish you. Don't say that. I don't know if you talk to flames anyways. 
<laughs> Taking care of animals. So in an agricultural society, right? A lot of farmers. You don't say, oh, I'm sorry, cow. You, you cannot be milked yet. You will wait. Okay. Things have to happen. Chickens have to be fed. Okay. Dogs have to be taken out on a walk. You can leave cats alone. Just they give a place for them. Urgent auto repairs. If you want to go to, uh, if you want to worship the Lord, um, maybe you, you need a car to do that. And maybe something really bad uh, happened to your car and you need to get it fixed. Or uh, you, have, you can't go to work the next day. you got to get it fixed. A couple years ago, a few years ago, uh, actually providentially, it was when I was preaching on the Sabbath, uh, in Mark's Gospel, we had a couple, we had a, an incident with uh, things, pests in the house, and we had to, we had, there, were, there was lice. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to say it because it was going to trigger her. But there was more than one louse in the house. <laughs> and we had to handle that either before or after worship, uh, to go to the store, because we don't have that kind of treatment at the house. We had to get it done. Okay? We didn't want to make the situation worse by letting them run amok. So there are things, works of necessity. And Voss does say, there must, of course, be some allowance for differences of opinion among Christian people about what constitute, constitutes a true work of necessity on the Sabbath. So again, we shouldn't be coming out hard on people and say, is that a work of necessity? My list does not include that work of necessity. Sabbath breaker. And then take the stones and stone them. That's what the old, it's in the Old Testament. No. We don't want to act the Pharisee and investigate everyone's actions. Same time. We don't want to act the Pharisee and use these works of necessity as loopholes. And why would we want to do that? Maybe that has to do with our view of worship and how the day is to be. Don't we love the Lord? Don't we want to spend as much time as we can in the presence of God, worshiping Him? After all, we will spend an eternity doing that. Yes, these are um, pay, these pale in comparison to what we will be doing. But these are preparing us. These Sundays are preparing us. So we want to do what we need to do in order to support the day and we want to avoid what pulls us away from worship, from feasting, from resting, from necessity, from mercy. And mercy is the last one here of the five gifts. God gives us this day not only for ourselves, but for others. That's why I read Matthew 12 there. This man with a stretched out hand, or this man with a withered hand. This is a mercy to him. Yes, it is good. It is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It's a great day to do good. It's a great day to, uh, when Jesus was there, to give physical healing. It's a great day to show compassion. So, Voss um, talks about works of mercy. He says, work done chiefly without any motive of financial gain, but because of sympathy and compassion for human suffering. So, some examples of works of mercy or vocations of mercy. Doctors, nurses, caregivers. Emergency responders, owners of livestock, soldiers, 
Can you imagine if soldiers or police officers or firefighters said, okay, all of us are shutting down business. Fire's on your own. Uh, crime, that's on your own. You've got to do that. you got to figure that out yourself. Okay, let's fight the battle. Hopefully no one will come to us on the Lord's Day and try to attack us because we won't be armed. Can you imagine? The Lord wants, uh, wants to make sure that we do have safety. And so those occupations that maintain basic public services, like power and communications, or hospitality, like hotels. It's okay to stay in a hotel and eat the food in the hotel. They provide for you. It's okay to, to travel and stay in a hotel. But remember, even these individuals you know, who fill uh, these various roles, they themselves need a Sabbath. And so they, so it's incumbent upon them to, um, as much as they can, work out their schedule so that they're not missing a ton of Lord's Days. So if you're a nurse, you're on a schedule, and hopefully then you are, um, you're not working every single Sunday. Hopefully you're on a schedule with other people and you're sharing, uh, sharing the load. So we can minister to our shut-ins. We can minister to... Um, Anyone that we see has a physical need. It's a great day to do that. And I know one family I recently was just told this. Uh, they said, you know, Pastor Mock, the reason we usually don't hang out afterwards on, after morning worship is we actually go to a nursing home. And we play music or we sing songs for the people there. I said, oh, I didn't know that. What a, what a blessing for them. What joy, I'm sure, that they have to see your face and to, to hear the songs and uh, just to be ministered to. It's a wonderful way to, to show mercy to people. There's a lot of talk about self-care and by and large I'm against that language. Jeremiah 17 verses 19 through 23 Thus said the Lord to me, Go and stand in the people's gate, by which the kings of Judah enter, and by which they go out, and in all the gates of Jerusalem, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, you kings of Judah, and all Judah, and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, who enter by these gates. Thus says the Lord, Take care for the sake of your lives, and do not bear a burden on the Sabbath day, or bring it in by the gates of Jerusalem, and do not carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath, or do any work, but keep the Sabbath day holy, as I commanded your fathers. Yet they did not listen or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck, that they might not hear and receive instruction. So he's telling them not to work on the, on the Sabbath day. But he says, take care, take care for the sake of your lives. Sabbath keeping is soul care. You want to grow. You want to be nourished. You want good things. Mark, Mark 2 says, again, that Sabbath... Uh, is, is made for man. Okay? It's a gift. And finally, Sabbath is a delight. I don't have time to, to read uh, all of Isaiah 58, but I will read Isaiah 58, 13, and 14. A, there are whole books written on this chapter, and they are in the resources by Joseph Piper and Ryan McGraw. Um, Isaiah 58, 13, and 14. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, 
or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride in the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So true, true Sabbath delight avoids satisfaction in earthly pleasures, in doing your own pleasure, doing your own thing. And recreation is an idol of American Christians, of Americans. And we need to be careful that we are not worshiping physical rest and playtime, leisure, with video games and TV and movies and golfing and hunting and sporting and concerts and on and on. Brian McGraw says this in his book, Worldly, create, worldly recreations on the Sabbath are no more appropriate than if a groom paused in the middle of the wedding ceremony to check the scores of the football game. Would you say to that, to that groom, um, or would you say, okay, somebody says, hey man, what are you doing checking the, the scores? Would you call that confrontation legalistic? No. Would you say, you're being too rigid? No. You'd say, you're, 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 satisfied. you're being satisfied with lesser things. Look at your bride, we're crying out loud. Just enjoy, enjoy this time, enjoy this ceremony. Enjoy what this moment is. And what are we doing? What will we do in 15 minutes from now? We're going to be beholding, by faith, our triune God. There's nothing better than that. There's nothing better than worshiping our glorious God. So we have to fight our, the temptation to be distracted. Because it doesn't look all that, uh, all that exciting. We're, we are reading black words on a page. We are singing, we're singing hymns. We're eating a little piece of crap. A spot of wine. But with eyes of faith, this is the best day of the week. We are rejoicing in our Savior. That's what we're doing. So everything else needs to be cast aside. It's a delight. And there's more to it there, as you see. But I will say, I'll end with this quote from Robert uh, McShane. It says, A well-spent Sabbath we feel to be a day of heaven upon earth. That is what the Lord's day is. It's, as Hebrews 12 says, it's, the, it's heaven breaking in. We are worshiping with the church triumphant. We, the church militant, fighting against the flesh, world, and devil, joining with the church triumphant in glory. We are joining in worship. Our great God. It's the best day. And so we need to spend the Sabbath well because... It is the best day to spend. It's the best day to reflect on what Christ has done, to receive his grace, to rejoice in our wonderful Savior, the Redeemer, Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. Our wonderful God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for an opportunity to reflect even just for 60 minutes on what a day this is. There's so much, Lord, so much more to explore, so many questions to ask. But help us, Lord, to keep the main thing the main thing. That is to worship you, and to love you, and to use this day in demonstration of love for you and for one another. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.